Folk music has a long and rich tradition in the United States, telling stories that capture life in lyric and melody. Today's guest uses those tools to tell stories that reflect her indigenous heritage. She's Marie Sue this week on Story in the Public Square. Welcome to Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University. Joining me from his home in Rhode Island is my friend and co-host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal. Each week, we talk about big issues with great guests, authors, journalists, songwriters, and more to make sense of the stories that shape public life in the United States today. This week, we're joined by Marie Sue a singer and songwriter joining us today from her home in California. Marie, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, so Wayne played your music for me and said, I think we should have you on. And I listened to just a little bit and I said, oh my goodness, we really should. When you describe yourself as an artist, uh, how do you how do you present yourself? Um... I like to kind of actually think of myself more as a storyteller than just, uh, I don't know, a folk singer. Sometimes people put me in that category, but I really do feel like I'm, I'm a writer first and foremost. I've always written poetry and used a lot of words since I was about like nine years old. So kind of an abstract storyteller for the natural world is the way that I sometimes put it. <laughs> did you, did you, when did you, when did you fall in love with music? Oh my gosh, I've always loved music since I was a kid, probably around like, my dad always played music bluegrass growing up, so we were always always around music, our family, and I think my first favorite band and like memory of loving music was Simon and Garfunkel when I was about like seven or eight, Yeah. and uh, I used to make mixtapes for myself to drive to school to, so that I could like listen to Simon and Garfunkel all the time, like in the car. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been kind of a life, a lifelong thing from the beginning. And so you grew up in Northern California, is that correct? Tell us about that. And your parents both have very interesting backgrounds. And so uh, let's hear about that, because clearly that that upbringing and your mm -hmm. parents and your family have had an influence on your music and, and your poetry. We, we should note that you're also a poet. I mean, you do a lot of things. But anyway, tell us about your childhood and upbringing. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up with my mom on an organic farm up in the Sierra foothills, which is Nisinan land, the local tribe here. And yeah, I grew up really close to the land, really fortunate though we, you know, lived in a really small cabin and sometimes didn't have a lot of money. We were really rich in um, food and just being close to nature and I had just a really, really deep connection with nature and plants. And since I was a kid, you know, I've always like kind of talked to plants and that's always been something that I've done. I've always like been really 
drawn to the natural world and able to be immersed in it through that upbringing. And also my dad being a, being a musician and being a bluegrass player, he always had people over playing music and jamming, jamming with each other. And my mom was always in the garden and really growing a lot of flowers. And it was a very, a very beautiful upbringing for sure. How did your dad get into bluegrass? Was that something from his family or did he discover it on his own or? I think he discovered it when he was in college. Um, I'm pretty sure. I've never actually asked him where it, where it first started, but I think since he was like a, since he went to college up in College of the Redwoods. And, and, and he played on some of your early work, did he not? I, I think I read that. Yeah. Yeah, he's played mandolin on a couple and a pedal steel on a couple songs on a couple records of mine, and we've played some shows together. And yeah, so I know if if I if I understand correctly, your mom is of uh, is of is an indigenous person. Her her her, her family uh, has mm-hmm. been in this land forever, uh, literally. Um, how does that heritage uh, influence uh, you as a storyteller and as a musician? Mm-hmm. It's a good question. It's kind of like a bit of a complicated one, but yeah, my mom is mixed, mixed race. She's, she's indigenous Californian, um, and also different indigenous tribes in Mexico and a little Spanish. And she's not affiliated with any tribe. So specifically, and so I think some of the, the, the loss and the, the grief of a lot of our heritage being lost so rapidly over a couple generations has been something that's been really impactful to my path and really finding actually songwriting and singing has been something that's, I've always kind of felt felt this loss of culture and loss of, you know, language and customs that I know was intact not that long ago has been like a really, really big grief for me in my life. And I've always felt really close to that, even though it's kind of gone, I feel like really close in my spirit to, to that world. So that's been something that I've been trying to like piece back together in myself. And I think that happens through making music a lot of the time for me, finding music and singing has been a way kind of back to my ancestry and back to the pieces together that sometimes feel lost. So, so in a little bit, we're going to hear a selection from one of your songs that reflects what you're talking about here. Exactly. But that'll be in a couple of minutes. You share a birthday with Rosa Parks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have to read this because this was a recent Instagram post and, and maybe you can elaborate on it. But I, I found this very moving and insightful in terms of your development, uh, you know, as somebody who has a, a keen sense of social justice. Let me read what, what you posted on Instagram. Happy birthday, radical woman, who with an act of soft and fierce power ignited an historical movement. I'll never forget when I first heard about her around age nine. I could not understand, and you wrote that in all caps, I could not understand how she wasn't allowed to stay seated if white people needed a seat and thus was arrested when she would not give hers up. May we continue to know and utilize the powers within us to stand up against injustice in these accelerated and bewildering times during this great shifting wave for humanity. That's powerfully put, I mean, very, very finely put. Talk about Rosa Parks and the influence 
on on you, your childhood and, and now your adulthood? Yeah, I do really clearly remember hearing about her story. And um, I didn't, at the time, didn't know that I shared a birthday with her. But yeah, I think as a child, um, growing up in a really accepting um, family, I just couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around that story. Like it literally just didn't, just didn't make sense to me. You know, I, I couldn't understand it. And I think I just remember like asking my parents, like, what, like, how, how could that be? And them trying to explain it to me that, you know, like black people didn't have the same rights as white people. And this was part of our history and something that we needed to understand. And also probably led into a lot of, you know, things they taught me about indigenous people and people being here before us and just different talks like that. But I do just really remember that vividly. I don't really remember much um, more than that, but that it really was impactful to me and kind of another, a reminder that racism really is a learned experience, a learned thing, a learned experience, a learned viewpoint, you know? So talk about some of your early music influences and Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan were two of them, two of our favorite singers and songwriters and musicians too, I would add. Yeah, kind of classic, but they really, they really were. Also, Jimi Hendrix was in there too. They were probably like my top three most influential people as a young person. And I remember I had a record player when I was like about 14 and like in high school and I couldn't believe Bob Dylan's music when I first heard it. Like, I know a lot of people probably experienced that and experienced that when he was coming onto the scene of music, but I was a teenager, uh, you know, into in 2000, having that same experience hearing Bob Dylan, not for the first time probably, but like really hearing it as someone in their adolescence. And I couldn't believe this person had written these songs. I was so mesmerized by the lyrics and I would sit in my in my bedroom and like write write down the lyrics as he sang so that I could like read them and like have them written around my room and stuff and Joni Mitchell too yeah just such moving such moving music I would just cry I was a really emotional like young person <laughs> uh, Joni Mitchell really I felt like I understood what she was singing about even though I had never been through those experiences yet but now that music obviously is even more touching on levels after like I'm 36 now and been through a lot of different life experiences. So it's you, amazing. Can you remember the first Dylan song that you just sort of unpacked the lyrics to? Um, yes, it's all right, Ma. I'm only bleeding. Yeah, and what and what about it sort of spoke to you? Um, I loved that I didn't know what he was talking about, but I felt like I understood everything that was being said. <laughs> wow. I, look, that, that totally makes sense to me. The, the most, <laughs> the most powerful music I have found speaking, obviously for myself is when you're moved emotionally, even if you don't necessarily hear even every word in, in every lyric, you, you just, you feel it. And, and that, that frankly was one of the, the appeals of your music. Too. When I first started listening on Spotify, um, it was like, wow. And I've listened to a whole lot more. 
since then and enjoyed every song. And so do you remember the first song you wrote on your own, what it was about or what instrument it was played on or give us, you know, if, if you have a recollection of that, give us, give us that story. Um, I do remember kind of the first song I wrote. I definitely wrote it on guitar. I taught myself guitar when I was about 18 or 19 after high school. And um, I think I wrote this song called Boombox Sounds. <laughs> and it was kind of a little song about our town and this certain sidewalk that we used to all hang out on. And one of our close friends had passed away in a car accident. And I somehow kind of put, put that reference in there. And I don't exactly remember all the words, but I do remember that being kind of the first song that I wrote. <laughs> But it sounds like you were always a storyteller. You know, the, the the are there are there moments in life you mentioned the, the the loss of this friend as a teenager. Are there moments of life that are just more impactful from a storytelling perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I don't know how to spur others. For me, songwriting is really a lot of re. Let's see putting things back together. Like it's always like when I feel like I've lost something or I'm searching for something or I'm broken hearted over something, it really helps me to heal. You know, it's really part of my therapy as a, as a human. And it's something that offers me a lot of healing in my life experience. And uh, so yeah, it can be from a lot of experiences like that. They're not always necessarily tr tragic, but times when I'm feeling, you know, lost or broken, it helps me find like the way back to myself. <laughs> so I read that you, you went to Patagonia, which is where you taught yourself to play guitar. And by the way, Jim is so impressed that you <laughs> taught yourself to play guitar. Cause he's I know four to... chords still. I've been <laughs> at it for 20 years. I'm, I'm about four chords. So, but yeah, go on. <laughs> so what, 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 what did you do in Patagonia and how old were you? And tell us about, you know, learning to play the guitar there. That was a really important trip for me, actually. I went to Patagonia um, in Argentina to work for this school. I'm, I don't remember the name of it anymore, but it was a school that um, helped the indigenous, the indigenous children of that area, the Mapuche. And they taught them a lot of different things besides just the regular, you know, schooling regular schooling, like uh, raising alpacas, farming, building greenhouses, taking care of animals. And so I went there when, after high school, so I was about just over 18, and I brought my guitar. I had just been teaching myself a couple Bob Dylan songs and learning, learning some chords. And um, I was supposed to be going there with another girl my age, and... So I, th I didn't know that I was going to be going there alone, which ended up being what happened. Once I got all the way down to like the southern tip of Argentina, they told me like, oh, that girl's not coming. Actually, she was from San Francisco. And they were like, you know, the other American girl, she's not coming. So it's just going to be you here by yourself. And I was like kind of shocked and freaked out because that kind of wasn't the plan. But so anyway, it, it was a really important trip because it was really challenging and really beautiful. And it's a really beautiful and an intense landscape there in the high desert and working with the children was like incredible though there were like language barriers and some rough patches to work through by the end it was 
it was this incredible growthful experience and while i was there i was very homesick and i was very alone sometimes because i was doing a lot of projects by myself like painting buildings like in the wind in like blowing wind all day by myself and just a lot of really solitary times so i spent a lot of the time writing in my head and then at night uh turning some of these writings into songs so when I came back from the trip that was about four, four or five months long, I had like 10, 10 songs I'd written. We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard four times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutis. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. Lutis. Joining me as he does every week is my co-host and friend G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist with the Providence Journal and the author of 19 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Marie Sue, a singer and songwriter whose music reflects her Native American heritage and the Sierra Nevadas she has called home. You can find her on Twitter at Marie Sue, and I'm going to spell that M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X. So your first album, if I have this correct, uh, was in 2006, and it was called A Bundle bundle of bundles mm-hmm. of the title tell us about that album was that in fact your your first one um there was a one before that that was called pray me a shadow it was a little home recording that my friend kind of um kindly forced me to make because he really wanted to listen to my songs as he like went to sleep <laughs> at his house so he kind of was the first person that instigated me like recording this music i never would have thought of doing that i never imagined being a singer or performer or songwriter really um but so that was the first one premium shadow bundled bundle of bundles was my second little home recording that he also helped me do and uh that was definitely a little more i had kind of gotten into some deeper songwriting at that point i had written a song on there that's bundles that is about 10 minutes long and i really really started crafting more uh, my songs and realizing that this was something that I could do that I, I kind of had a, had a knack for putting words together and singing. Did, did that did that surprise you discovering that you had this talent? I mean this obviously wasn't your life plan when you were younger. Mm-hmm. It wasn't was it like it was go ahead. Really surprising actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people that knew me were really surprised. I was really shy growing up and uh unless i was close friends with you i'm a total like goofball you know crazy person but it like i was pretty shy i never would have wanted to be in front in front of people i mean speaking or performing that was like terrifying so i had to really get over i think for the first like probably five years of performing and even sometimes still over 15 years into this i was terrified of of getting on stage like it was i almost like i was sick to my stomach like when i had to sing songs so it's been something to kind of get over (laughs) (laughs) well 
I, I was gonna say I think that this would be a great spot to maybe actually take a a, a listen uh, to just a, 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 a just a, a little bit of one of your songs. It's called Black Snakes. We'll take a listen and then maybe we'll we'll ask you to tell us a little bit about about it. So uh, this is Black Snake by Marie Sue. Explain to us what is Black Snakes about. Um, I wrote Black Snakes after I hadn't written a song in a really long time, almost a year, and uh, it happens sometimes. You know, I definitely would say I was having like a writer's block or something, and I was kind of at a place where I was like, "Am, am I ever going to write a song again? I, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen." You know, <laughs> and uh, I was on, I was preparing for a trip to go out to Standing Rock when that was happening, right before Thanksgiving. And uh, I sat down, I kind of sat down at my altar and like had a little moment, had my guitar out. And then I, this was one of those kind of spooky experiences that's only happened a couple times in my life where I kind of sang, oh, it gives me chills thinking about it. I, I sang this song into being kind of in real time like there wasn't much writing it beforehand. I started playing the part on the guitar and I started singing the words and the melody and barely revised it or anything by the end. So it, it's like the song really wanted to come through. And uh, I feel like the song really is a prayer for water and is a prayer for the, um, the strength and remembrance of indigenous people really this time. That sounds like a mystical experience for, for lack of a better word. Was it? I mean, it, I would call it something like that. Yeah. Has, have you ever had that feeling mm. before or, or one that brought a song out of you or channeled a song into you and then out into the world? And I don't when, know how. Go ahead. There's been moments of like writing that have felt like that where I'm just like, I don't even remember writing the words. It's kind of a trancey like experience. And, uh, you know, it just kind of happens out of nowhere. There's not, I wouldn't say there's like a, anything I do to bring that on. It just, it just happens sometimes. And, but no, this was really particular with the singing of the melody and the, and the words. And it's like the song already had been written before. Like, you know, it doesn't even feel my, feel like my, my song or something. None of my songs really feel like my songs. I feel like they're always coming from, from another place, you know, they're just coming through and they, they kind of want, they want to come out and be be heard now. What's kind of the feeling it feels like? You know, I, I'm curious, sort of how you work um, 
you know, is am I imagining you with uh, with with a pad of paper and a and a pen and sort of jotting down ideas? Am I imagining you with a recording device in your guitar and just sort of, you know, sort of almost free forming stuff? And is it some combination? How, as a songwriter, uh, how do you how do you work your craft? It's always different. I mean, there's sometimes I'm just writing songs in the car because I'm just singing little melodies and I'm always like singing little little things. I think it kind of starts with that. It's kind of, it's always around me because I feel like music is in this ethereal kind of, kind of in a, in a spiritual realm where it's floating around. And if you can be open to little pieces coming down, you can have little pieces come from here and there. And then when you sit down with the guitar, so when I go and sit down in my room, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like work on something. There's already been little things floating, floating around, and they can have a chance to kind of make their way through and maybe get pieced together into something. Um, and then sometimes I'm just writing, and there's no music part of it involved. You mentioned sitting down in front of your altar. What, what is your altar? I always have an altar in my room. At least I have for many years. Um, it's just a place where I, where I put things that are, that are sacred to me. You know, it involves different stuff at different times. Right now it has water and corn on it. <laughs> and those are important, obviously, to, not just to your music, but, but to you personally. Yeah, it's definitely important for me to have a space where I can just sit in front of and whether I need to like meditate or just be, uh, yeah, that's my own sacred space, really. So speak, speaking of space, you've been living through a pandemic as we all have, uh, and you've been doing it in a beautiful part of the world, Northern California, but how has that been in terms of, of your creativity and also in terms of your spirituality? How has that affected both of those and, and you as, a, as an individual? And we've got about a minute left. Um, wow. Yeah, it's been such a big time. Um, I don't know. I mean, being being on my parents' land, kind of, kind of coming back to my home base was a real reminder at how blessed I am because I know that wasn't a lot, a lot, like many people's experience. And uh, I think just being grateful and being really humbled at what happened. I think a lot of us were deeply humbled at the experience we just all went through and continue to go through. And, um, and you'll be moving soon to Brooklyn, New York, which is going to be a whole continent away in a very different environment than. Yeah. You. Yeah, I'm going to go check it out. I really want to, I kind of need a little break from the woods. I want to go be around more musicians and artists for a little while. And I have some friends out there. I want to maybe work on some, some music stuff with, and I have some new recordings I'm working on some songs I wrote during the pandemic and stuff. So I just am excited to go see what it's like out there. I don't know how long I'll be out there or what exactly will happen, but I'm just ready for an adventure, I think. Well, Marie, uh, uh, you know, congratulations on all of your success and thank you for spending some of your time with us and sharing your story with us. That is all the time we have this week, but if you wanna know more about Story in the Public Square, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or visit pelcenter.org where you can always catch up on previous episodes. For G. Wayne Miller, I'm Jim Lutis asking you to join us again next time for more story in the public square.